Well, good morning, Christ Walk Church. How's everybody doing today? Awesome. I'm excited to be here, excited about bringing the word this morning. It is going to be a great day. You know, we've all got um, different tendencies as people. Uh, there's, there's ways that we go about doing certain things, ways that we, we live our lives, decisions that we make. And a lot of us, we kind of fall into really kind of two different categories. We're typically on one end of a spectrum or another. Like there are those of us here this morning that, that maybe more often than not, uh, we wake up before the alarm ever goes off. We're bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. We are the first ones to the office. We are early for the meeting, you know, all of that stuff. And then there's others of us that more often than not, we oversleep. We could set 12 alarms and it wouldn't matter. We don't truly hit our stride until after our third or maybe fourth cup of coffee in the morning. Um, We're often running a few minutes late to everything, opposite ends of the spectrum. We're, uh, there, there, there are those of us that, that more often than not, we make the healthier food choice at the restaurant. You know, we go, we look at the menu, we find the salads, or we land among the, like, the grilled chicken or the salmon. We have water to drink. And then there are those of us here this morning that I would say are my people, that rather than drifting toward the the more healthy option, we drift towards the better tasting option. We're looking for the stuff that's smothered in cheese and gravy. That is, um, it's been deep fried more than once. You know, those are the things. We want the, the death by chocolate. That's where our eyes go on the menu. Um, and and, and that, that's what we're drawn to. There, there are those of us that, that um, in, in our lives, more often than not, we manage our money well. We, we, don't, we don't overspend. We don't splurge. We don't make impulse buys. We, we live on margin. We tithe from our first fruits. We live a lifestyle of generosity. And there are others of us who more often than not tend to mismanage our money. And instead of telling our dollars where to go, we often wonder where they went. We find ourselves living paycheck to paycheck. We say that, well, we just can't afford to tithe. We're on opposite ends of the spectrum. And in situations and scenarios and, uh, like this, we often ask ourselves the question, why is it that we do what we do? Why is it that we make the decisions that we make? Why is it that we follow certain behavior patterns and and in this situation we act this way and in this circumstance we act this way? Why is it that we do the things that we do? Today, we're in part four of a series called The Power to Change, which is based on a very simple premise. Few things in life are more frustrating than knowing that you need to change and then trying to change, but then over time not actually changing. And so in this series, we've been taking a look at some principles from God's word that will help us to discover the power to change so that we can begin living the life that God has designed for us to live. So let's circle back to that question. Why do you do what you 
do? That's what we're going to attempt to answer and address today. There, there's really, you know, we'll start off with some secondary reasons as to why we do the things that we do. Some secondary reasons, there are three of them, um, obligation, desire, and acceptance. Those are some secondary reasons as to why we do the things that we do. We, we do them out of obligation because we, we have to do these things. We're, we're checking off the box. Maybe it's out of religious duty or maybe it's because our boss told us that this is within the realm of our job description and requirements or maybe it's because you're a kid and you have a parent and they, they set some expectations on you to do things um, and do them a certain way. So that's why you're doing them. Or maybe it's because you are a parent parent and you have children. And so then therefore that dictates certain things that you have to do out of obligation. Maybe you do things the way that you do them and and the why behind uh, the reason that you do them is out of desire. It's because you want to. It's because you have a heart that cares for others or it's because you are are self-disciplined or you are striving for a particular, a better outcome or maybe it's even because you want to honor God with your life. You have this desire inside of you that is the reason behind why you do things. Or, or maybe it's to be accepted. You do things because you want to be liked. You do things because you want to fit in. This could boil down to maybe the way that you dress or the music that you listen to or the social activities that you participate in. And a lot of the things in our lives, the reason that we do them, the, the behaviors that, that are a part of our, our lives, our makeup, our, our characteristics, or, or the decisions that we make, they are driven by obligation, desire, and acceptance. But there's something much bigger than all three of those things. The primary reason that you and I do what we do is simply this. You do what you do because of what you think of you. Sounds a little Dr. Susie, right? You do what you do because of what you think of you. Behavior is always determined by what we believe every single time. And, and our beliefs will determine our direction, and our direction will always determine our destination. You do what you do because of what you think of you. In Proverbs 23, verse 7, we read this. It says, for as he thinks in his heart, just speaking about man in general, people, for as he thinks in his heart, so is he. As we think in our heart, so are we. This is a condition of our identity. And, and when, when we're getting to, to the root of, of who we are as people, when, when we are, are peeling back the layers of the onion to discover and determine our identity, there's really three questions that we have to wrestle with. Three questions. If you're taking notes, maybe you want to write these down. Because we'll answer these questions either consciously or subconsciously in every single aspect of our life. The first question is, what kind of person am I? The second question, what kind of situation is this? 
And the third question, what does someone like me do in a situation like this? What kind of person am I? What kind of situation is this? And what does someone like me do in a situation like this? Some examples. The alarm goes off in the morning. Do you hit the snooze bar five times? Or do you throw back the covers and get ready to attack the day? When you're cut off in traffic, do you scream out curse words and lay down on the horn and give the car that the driver of the car that cut you off the old one finger salute? Or do you extend grace and understanding and forgiveness? When your coworker brings donuts, do you hurry up and grab three of them before anybody else gets a chance to get any? Or do you go back to your desk and eat the apple and the carrot sticks that you brought from home? See, in every situation that you will ever face, you will do what you do because of what you think of you. It's the reason that core values are so important. Whether you realize it or not, you have a set of core values that you live your life by. We have them as a church. We talk about them pretty regularly. And we have these things in place because they help to guide the decisions that we make and the behaviors that we display. Some of them are are aspirational. Some of them are, are inspirational. But they help to provide parameters on this is what it looks like to be a disciple of Jesus as a part of Christ's walk church. They're characteristics like honor, generosity, servanthood, authenticity, etc. Those are the things that, that the lenses through which we want to look that's going to determine the direction of the ministries of our church and how we behave as a people. And, and even if you don't have a, a written down list, maybe you've not even ever thought about this before, but, but you have core values in your life, whether you realize it or not, that are, that are determining, they're dictating how you are choosing to live. They're beliefs that, 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 that you've held on to, that there are things that, that you think that you see things a particular way that are determining the output of your life because at the end of the day, you do what you do because of what you think of you. And, and so when it comes to the power to change, when it comes to the decisions that we make, when it comes to the behaviors that we display, there's, there's really two guiding principles regarding that power for us to change, for us to, to do things differently. Two guiding principles. The first one is this. Write this down. If, if you want to change what you do, first change what you think of you. If you want to change what you do, first change what you think of you. In other words, you got to get rid of that stinking thinking, you know? Stinking thinking, it's, it's, it's the negative, it, it's, it's, it's the lies, it's, it's, the, it's, it's the, the, the negative viewpoints, the, the bad ways in which we view ourselves, the, the things that we believe about us that simply aren't true. And for many of us, it's so much easier to believe the negative than it is for us to believe the positive. It's easier for a lot of us to assume the worst possible outcome than it is to assume the best in any given situation. And 
we might ask, well, why? Why is, why is that the thing that we like? Why is that the human condition? Because we all kind of respond that way. And, and the reason is, is because, well, the devil's a liar, and he has been lying to us since the very moment we were born. Consider what Jesus said in, in John chapter 8, verse 44 and 45. He said, for you are the children of your father, the devil, and you love to do the evil things that he does. He was a murderer from the beginning. He has always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. When he tells lies, it is consistent with his character, for he is a liar and is the father of lies. So Jesus says, when I tell the truth, you just naturally don't believe me. See, What's taking place here is that you and I, we have heard the lies of the enemy for so long that when we are confronted with the truth of Jesus, it is outside the realm of our human nature to believe it, to accept it, to embrace it. And so on the flip side of that, it is easier for us to remain enslaved to the toxic lies of the devil than it is for us to live in the freedom of the truth of Jesus. And the enemy's lies that we've been hearing our entire life, they are based on what you aren't and what you don't have and what you can't do and what you'll never be. And it's on and on and on and on. And every single day, 24, 7, 365, over the entire course of your life, he is attacking your identity with the lies that he whispers screams and constantly hurls our way. And so we find ourselves, the reason that we do what we do, and it's, it's driven by what we think about ourselves, we, we find ourselves in the midst of an identity crisis. We have all of these identity issues taking place that are determining these, they're leading to these negative outcomes in our life. We've seen this come to the forefront over the past few years for example, through the LGBTQ movement. This was once a topic that was left to the fringes of society. But now it's infiltrated the very core of our culture, not just in the United States, but globally. And it's an issue now within the church itself, like within our four walls. It's something that we are having to wrestle with. And it's ripping churches and denominations apart. And these issues, they come about through just a simple seed of doubt that gets planted in our hearts and minds. We go all the way back to the beginning of the Bible, back to God's original creation. We find ourselves Genesis chapter 3. God's created everything. He's placed man and woman in the garden of Eden. And then we pick up Genesis chapter 3, beginning with verse 1. It says, the serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. Many of us are familiar with this story. One day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Of course we may eat Fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. 
God said, you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. You won't die, the servant replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. Did you see, did you catch the the tiny little seed of doubt that was planted? Did God really say Right? That's how the lies of the enemy creep in. It's that, it's that tiny little seed of doubt. Did God really say? And then he continues on by challenging the God-given identity of the woman. He says, you're not going to die. Instead, your eyes are going to be open and you will be like God. In other words, what he was communicating, the lie that he was telling her is that right now, currently, your eyes are closed. You don't have access to the knowledge that you need and you aren't what you think you are or what you are supposed to be. The story continues, verse 6. The woman was convinced. See right there, because of that seed of doubt that had been planted, now she's convinced of this lie, and she has exchanged truth to believe this lie. It says she saw that the tree was beautiful, and its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom that it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it too. And at that moment, their eyes were opened, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. She believed in the lie. The woman was convinced, and and the end result for her and her husband is they felt shame. Shame is not what you did was bad. What shame says is that you are bad because of what you did. Shame brings about a distorted identity. And and through this distorted identity of shame that says, I am bad, what happens is it sabotages our success to live the life that God has intended for us to live. And so through all of this, there is a shift in focus that takes place. We see it happen in the Garden of Eden. The the shift in focus that took place was from what God had given them, the tree of life, to what God had withheld from them, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Instead of them seeing everything that they had access to, they began to focus on the one thing that God had withheld. And, And through that shame, because they gave in, because they believed the lie, then that shame brought about fear. And rather than communing with God, as they always had, instead, now they were hiding from God. They were distancing themselves from his presence, which is exactly what the devil wanted in the first place. The story continues, picking up in verse 8. It says, when the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife, they heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Then the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Who told you that you were naked? The Lord God asked. Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? The man replied, it was the woman you gave me who gave me the fruit and I ate it. And then the Lord God asked the woman, what have you done? 
The serpent deceived me, she replied. That's why I ate it. Shame, fear, blame. We have all of this going on, distorted identity. And now something that Adam and Eve did every single day, walk with the Lord through the garden in the cool evening breezes. Now all of a sudden they're hiding from him. They are distancing themselves from him because they they have seen that they are naked. They are viewing themselves through a distorted lens that is giving them a picture of an identity that isn't theirs. It's a lie. And so here's what happens. Our, Our distorted identities create destructive habits. Adam and Eve view themselves differently. So they hide, they distance themselves from God. And then our our destructive habits reinforce our distorted identities. When we look at ourselves in a way that we're not supposed to see ourselves and we end up hiding, we, because of our shame and our fear, we distance ourselves from God. Guess what? We can no longer hear his voice. And it is his voice that tells us what our true identity is. And so that just creates this vicious cycle on and on and on. Next week, we're going to talk about how we break out of that cycle. And, and I don't, I don't want to make light of anybody's issues, anyone's struggles, the things that we're dealing with. But a lot of us, and, and I'm not just preaching at you, I'm talking to me as well, myself included. A, a lot of us, we have hang-ups because we continue to hang on. See, we, we've, we've entertained the lies of the enemy for so long that what happens is, is we eventually adopt those identities for ourselves. We take on ownership of this stuff. And we start to say things like, I am afraid. Or I have anxiety. Or I am depressed. Or I have an addiction. It's because of these things that we feel shame. And our shame pushes us into hiding and further away from God where we can no longer hear his voice and we distance ourselves from the only one that is communicating to us what our true identity is. And so instead of believing in the voice of the Lord, we begin to buy into the lies of the enemy that that is what we are. Fearful, anxious, depressed, addicted. But that's not who we are in Christ. That's not how believers are supposed to live. Jesus came so that we could be set free from all of those things and that we could bring honor and glory to him by the way that we live. The truth is this morning is that we we are not who the devil says that we are. We are not who other people say that we are. We we are not even who we think we are. We are who Jesus says we are. And and so if, if our distorted identities create destructive habits, and then our destructive habits reinforce our distorted identities, then then that would tell us that the opposite is also true. That a Christ-centered identity leads to Christ-honoring habits. And that Christ-honoring habits reinforce a Christ-centered identity. 
Therefore, in in moments when I feel afraid, I will choose to stand on the promise of Joshua 1 and 9 that says, this is my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. In moments when I'm feeling anxious, I will instead obey the command of 1 Peter 5, 7 that says, give all your worries and cares to God. Or or some translations, cast all your cares, cast all your anxieties on him, for he cares for you. When I'm feeling depressed, I will instead set my mind on Philippians 4, verses 8 and 9, where Paul writes, And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing, and then the God of peace will be with you. In those moments when I'm confronted with the stronghold of addiction, I will stand on the promise of Romans 8.37, which says, no, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ Jesus, who loved us. If you're going to change what you do, you have to first change what you think of you. Consider how Jesus set this example for us during his earthly ministry. His days were often comprised of him teaching in the temple and leading and equipping and empowering the disciples and dealing with the Pharisees, healing the sick. At the end of the day, he found himself exhausted. So what did Jesus do in those moments? Did he binge Netflix? Did he scroll endlessly through Instagram? Did he sit on the sofa and eat an entire pint of Ben and Jerry's? No, it was in those moments that Jesus asked himself these questions. What kind of person am I? I'm the kind of person that needs to be connected to my father. What kind of situation is this? It's it's the kind of situation that leaves me physically drained and exhausted tired. What does a person like me do in a situation like this? I pray. That's the kind of person that Jesus was. Luke 21, 37, listen to this. It says, every day Jesus went to the temple to teach. And each evening he returned to spend the night on the Mount of Olives. You go to the Mount of Olives. He was there above the city. He could look out over all of Jerusalem and he was able to spend time in communion with his heavenly father. Each evening, it says that took place. The next chapter, Luke 22, verse 39. Then, accompanied by the disciples, Jesus left the upstairs room and went as usual to the Mount of olives. Jesus wasn't attempting to make prayer a part of his life. No, he was a person of prayer. He was a per- he was someone that prayed. His identity was reinforced through God-honoring habits, and his God-honoring habit of prayer only reinforced his identity. It reminded him every single night when he would go to the Mount of Olives to pray, it reminded him, it centered him on the mission that was at hand, what God had sent him to do, and then the next day he would get up and he would do it all over again. 
It's what gave him the strength and the purpose and the focus to be able to make it happen. If you want to change what you do first, change what you think of you. Number two, instead of focusing on what you want to do, focus on who you want to become. Instead of focusing on what you want to do, focus on who you want to become. Question for consideration is who, who has God called you to be? Who has God called you to be? And then when you come up with that answer, the, the, the next thing to put in place, well then, is what does a person like that do? That's what God has called you to be. What, what does a person like that do? Do when when you want to when you want to uh, end up with a particular major in college, you don't just take any old classes. No, you you take very certain classes that are going to serve as building blocks to get you to the degree that you are pursuing. And so, based on who God has called you to be, that's going to dictate the things that you need to do in order to get there. Consider it from a a general perspective. You might say, I'm a person who takes my physical health seriously. Or, I'm a husband who is fully present and wholly intentional in my marriage. Or, I'm a teenager who has found purity in Jesus Christ and, and doesn't look at pornography. Or, I'm a businessman who values a lifestyle of generosity. Or I'm someone who chooses a lifestyle of sobriety as a testimony to others of the power of Christ to bring about change. Or I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ. Those are general statements. Some different avenues, some different approaches, some different people that we might want to become. And you take it from the general to then you get really specific. You become a person that says, I don't skip workouts. Or a person that says, I'm committed to a regular date night with my spouse. Or a person that says, I submit to accountability with my electronic devices and my online search history. Or a person that says, I put God first in my finances and I budget according to a biblical standard. Or a person that says, I am disciplined and Christ in me is stronger than the wrong desires in me. Or a person that simply says, I read my Bible every day, period. Like, if if you're the person that, that would say, I take my physical health seriously, then watch what happens. Every time you complete a workout, it reinforces your identity, that you're a person that takes your physical health seriously. If, if you put God first in your finances, if, if that's the kind of person you want to become, someone who puts God first in their finances, then every time you tithe from your first fruits, you reinforce your identity. If you're a person that says, I am a disciple of Jesus Christ, this is who I'm trying to be, this is who I'm trying to become, then every time you read your Bible, you reinforce your identity. James Clear says it this way. He says, every action you take is a vote for the kind of person you wish to become. No single instance will transform your beliefs. But as the votes build up, so does the evidence of your new identity. Can I just be honest with you? You guys know I've I've talked pretty candidly about my fitness journey. Something you need to know about me. I hate going to the gym. Like, hate it. 
with a passion. That's the kind of attitude and approach that I used to, to take. And, and I started and stopped several times before I ever got into an actual routine. But, but I talked earlier in this series about how I changed my why, that I decided I wanted to be a person that is strong and healthy. But you know when I made that decision, guess what didn't happen? I didn't fall in love with the gym after my first workout. I didn't just go that one time and be like, this is great. Can I be very honest with you this morning? There's still many Mondays at 7 a.m. that I still hate the gym. Maybe sometimes even worse than I did before. Because back then, I could just say, I hate the gym, and I could stay in bed and sleep in and eat the potato chips. But now, when I'm standing there looking at a bar with all kinds of weight on it, knowing what is about to happen to my body, it's terrible. But every time I log a workout, it gets me closer to the person that I want to become. Now, I don't go and lift weights once and become a bodybuilder. It's not how it works. I didn't go and complete one workout and all of a sudden I'm healthy. But no, it's... Every single time, I'm moving in the direction of who I am trying to become. Paul writes about it in Ephesians 4, verse 21 through 24. He says, since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes and then put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. This is a daily thing that we put aside that sinful nature, that old way of life, and we put on our new nature that has been created to be like God. Doing that one day is not going to change things. No single action is ever going to change our identity, but multiple consistent actions over time will change. When we wake up every single day and we say, today I'm putting off my old sinful nature and I'm putting on my new nature in Jesus, we do that over and over and over. What happens is eventually we start to see ourselves differently. And over time, our identity begins to change. And so the action step for all of us this morning is a very simple one. We've got to let go of those lies. We've got to let go of all of those lies that the devil has been screaming in our ear since the moment we took our first breath. We let go of those lies so that we can take hold of God's truth. I'll close with this. Imagine that you're carrying a heavy backpack full of rocks. Each of those rocks represents a lie from the enemy. And choosing to carry around that heavy weight will make your journey through life more difficult. If if you continue to hang on to all of that stuff, all of the weight will inevitably end up holding you back from reaching the destination that God has called you to. But every time you remind yourself, of the truth of who you are in Christ, you're able to take out one of those rocks and cast it to the side. 
Remember what we talked about earlier in the series. It's not behavior modification. It's spiritual transformation. Every time we take hold of one of the truths of God's word, what he says about us, we're able to transform our lives by taking one of those rocks and throwing it away. It's no longer weighing us down. And every rock that we take out makes the journey easier and easier and easier. We take hold of the truth of God's word. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. And we throw away the lies of the enemy that are holding us back and weighing us down. So the question this morning is, who are you? Who are you? See, for those of us who have accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, let let me remind you of who you are. You're a new creation in Christ Jesus. You are God's workmanship. You're a vessel of the Holy Spirit. You are the light of the world. You are a city on a hill. You belong to a royal priesthood. You are part of a holy nation. You are an ambassador of the kingdom of God. You are the head and not the tail. You are more than a conqueror. This morning, you are a child of the living God. And you are forgiven. And you are redeemed. And you have been saved. And you have been set free. And you have been chosen. Today, you are called. You have been set apart. And the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is the same spirit that lives inside of you. Somebody here today needs to be reminded, you are not who the devil says you are. You're not who others say you are. You are not even who you think you are. You're who Jesus says you are. So it's high time that you let go of the lies and start walking in the truth. You do what you do because of what you think of you. And so what you think of you should be determined by what God thinks of you. He created you. He loves you. And he sent his son Jesus to die for you so that you could exchange every single one of those lies of the enemy for the truth that is found in Jesus Christ. John 8, 32 says, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Free, free to become the person that God has called you to be. I invite you to receive that truth today. Perhaps you're here and and you've never embraced that truth in your life. And you've lived under the moniker of what the enemy has said and and what what, uh, other people have said, what your parents have said, what your employers have said, what friends have said. None of those things have been in alignment with the truth of God and his word, what he says about you. And this morning, he's extending an invitation for you to receive him as Lord and Savior of your life and to step into right relationship with your heavenly Father through a relationship with Jesus. If 
If that's you, I want to give you an opportunity to receive the Lord Jesus as your personal Savior here today. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If that's you here this morning, those watching with us online today, we pray this simple prayer together. Heavenly Father, I admit that I'm a sinner and that I'm lost without you. I believe that Jesus died in my place, making a way for us to have a relationship. Today, I choose to follow Jesus his way for the rest of my life. Amen.